Bibles to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. And the message tonight is about life and conduct. Life and conduct. Here in Proverbs 19, Solomon now turns his attention to the stupid or silly man. Those are not my words. <laughs> God uses them in the scripture. I am no one to call anybody stupid or silly. God, uh, Solomon now writes about the foolish things that the stupid or silly man says. Let's go ahead and look at verse 1 now of chapter uh, of Proverbs 19. And Solomon says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. There's the word that the Holy Spirit put in here. It's calling him, uh, man says, that he who again, you know, is perverse in his lips is a fool. And the word means fool, it means stupid or silly. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 22, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, Raka meaning idiot, and, it, and is speaking about, we're, we're talking about their heart and their character. Jesus said they shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool, this word speaks of that person whose, whose salt has lost its flavor. None of us have the judgment to see uh, if somebody has lost their, their salt has lost its flavor. Jesus said they shall be in danger of, the, of hellfire. Now, the Lord has told us here we are not to call anyone a fool. But we see it here in verse, 19, uh, of, uh, verse 1 of, of chapter 19. The Lord, again, we're not, we're not to call anybody a fool. But the Holy Spirit has really been using that word a lot. Because you see, God knows what's in man. So he has the right and he can make that. He can use that word because he knows all things. So again, clearly there are quite a few fools in the human race. God knows what's in man. Now the first line in verse 1 here. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity is the same as the first line of, of, of Proverbs 28, verse 6. Solomon says it's better to be poor and honest, you know, because uh, God, integrity means upright and it means perfect. So it's better to be, again, uh, uh, a person of integrity than a fool. All right, who speaks words that are perverse or twisted. And in this sense, the word for poor here in, verse, in the first part of verse 1, it means needy or hungry. It's a dishonorable term suggesting poverty because of laziness. Now, a fool might try to get rich using deceitful ways, being deceitful. But honesty, Solomon says, is still a better way to go, even if it means going hungry. Verse 2. Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he sins who hastens with his feet. Solomon here is speaking about impulsive people. Impulsive people. Here Solomon talks about his foolish walk of that, uh, that impulsive person. The word soul here, it means inner drive or vitality. It doesn't mean so much an overly excitement as much as an ambitious drive without the right knowledge because it might lead that person to make hasty mistakes and, and many times maybe we can look back and see we, we've been impatient 
you know, we're in a hurry and, and, and we just, we make hasty decisions during that time of impatience. And what happens? It turns out to be a mess because it might result in making mistakes. Today we say, you know what? Haste makes waste. We've all heard the saying, ignorance is bliss. But that's not really true. Ignorance isn't something to brag about. It's not something to be proud of. It's a lot better, Solomon says, to be poor and unknown, yet walking with God in uprightness and integrity than to be a loud mouth and yielded to foolishness and perverseness. Like he said in verse 1. Lacking knowledge, not having knowledge, isn't something to be proud about either. That's not something to be desired. Enthusiasm alone won't keep you on the right track. We can be excited, we can be fired up, but we need knowledge to keep us on the right track. A person might be sincere, but they might be sincerely wrong. That's why we need knowledge. Just like Saul was before he was saved. You know, he thought he was on the right track when he went out and he was persecuting Christians and he got permission from the religious leaders you know, on his way to Damascus to round them up, put him in jail, and he, he thought he was doing the wise thing. He thought he was serving God. The person who goes on in life without learning God's will, they'll just keep sinning and sinning and they'll keep moving, moving further away from God. His foolishness leads him astray because he doesn't have any direction. And then his heart becomes deceitful, and as a result, he goes against the Lord. He's determined to do it his way, and he won't accept correction. Now, there are those who are proud of themselves because they don't know the Bible, even mature Christians. Here's their thinking. Well, that's too deep for me. Oh, it's too theological. That's biblical, and, and I don't know much about that. Well, the question is, if you're a Christian, and especially a mature Christian, why don't you know? If you're a mature Christian, or a mature man or woman in the church, you shouldn't be that, that lacking of spiritual knowledge, of having no, no spiritual understanding. Somebody said one time, no man is uneducated who knows the Bible, and no one is truly educated who is ignorant of its blessings. I'm sorry, its teachings. How can... Here's the thing. How can we claim to be really educated if we're ignorant of the Bible? How can we be mature Christians and not know the Bible? Somebody says it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. How can you say, here's the key. How can, how can you say, how can God, how can you say God spoke to me when you don't read the scriptures? Knowing God's word should be a sign of the child of God. They should recognize that we are children of God because, hey, they know the word. They quote the scriptures and they give good, good, good advice you know, based on scripture. And we're the ones who are really responsible for most of our ignorance and for most of our impulsive behaviors that are sinful. So Isaiah said in Isaiah 28, 16, whoever believes will not act hastily. Verse 3. The foolishness of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. This one we see all the time. Next here in verse 3, Solomon writes about the stupid man and his foolish ways. You know, it's crazy how many people make really poor choices in life. Again, not knowing the scriptures. And then they ruin their lives 
by their own foolishness and their own sinful behavior, and guess what? They get mad at God. They're angry at the Lord. Foolishness ruins a person's life. It literally means, foolishness literally means overturns or subverts his way. Bringing problems upon themselves. A fool is responsible for his own careless actions and shouldn't blame the results on the will of God. But you know what he does. Because he does what he wants to do. You know, he, 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 he thinks he has his own way that seems right. You know, he doesn't like his life. He doesn't like what he's done to it, but he blames God. Don't blame God. Verse 4. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. Remember the story of the prodigal son? As long as the prodigal son had, you know, had money, man, he had, a, he had a lot of friends. But when his money ran out, so did his friends. He was left all alone and penniless in the far country where there was famine and hunger and begging were now his only friends. Verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. One type, one type of false friendship is to be a false witness in court. But perjury, that is lying under oath, will eventually be punished. In verse 5 here, the word speaks lies literally means breathes out. Breathes out. Now somewhere down the line, lies come back to you. You know, they come back, and they bite us. They haunt us. God judges according to truth, and God sees every sin that we commit. He sees all obedience. I'm sorry, disobedience. And you know what? It's going to receive its fair reward. God is going to reward according to our works, the Bible says. You might get away with a lie for a little while. But the Bible says, you know, our our sin, our lies will find us out. The truth is going to win out. Verse 6. Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. We've seen this one before. Here now, Solomon starts out by telling us to watch out for rulers. All rich and powerful men are surrounded by a lot of yes men and a lot of sponges or leeches, whatever you want to call them, that are there just to to get from them what they can that will help them out. People who have hidden agendas. People who clearly or secretly have their hands out to rich and powerful men. And the ruler that's that's really competent and knows what's going on and knows how to deal with these kinds of people, they need to be careful. They may think they're using the king, but the king is using them. Verse 7, all the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. Here Solomon goes on by telling us to watch out for poor people. The poor man always needs something. He's always asking for help, and those who are well off get tired of them asking. And, 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 and though the well-off, that they resent them asking for money. And yet their conscience, as Solomon says, make them feel uncomfortable when they don't give anything or they give less than they could. And no matter how much wealthy people give, 
You know, and, and, and you see it in the world. To the world, they never give enough. We want to tax them more. We want to, you know, get it and, and give it to those who don't, those who have worked hard for it, and, and, and it's theirs. But yet, you know what? It, it, whatever they give, whatever they do to much of the world, it's never enough. The poor man and many like them are still there with their hands stretched out. Now, we've, as I say, we've, now we've, just, we've tried to solve the problem of poverty by making the government take over. By making the government take care of poverty. We want the wealthy people to give more and do more than they do. Now, and maybe some should. But nonetheless, we place a lot of the responsibility for the poor on the government, on the wealthy. How long have we been doing that? Forever. Do we still have poor people? Yeah. And Proverbs tells us that many poor people, uh, you know, and not all, there are circumstances, our situation, but a lot of them have become poor because of poor choices in life. In many countries, poverty is thought of as just an unfortunate part of human life and, and is to be avoided if you can and to be relieved or ignored of it, you know, as occasion may suggest here in verse 7. And even though, it, you know, poverty, it, it's in the same category as sickness and disease and earthquakes and storms and deaths, Poverty is not necessarily looked down on. And that's what Sol not, Solomon's not saying. He's looking down on poverty. He's telling us, you know, what happens with it. And, and, and those who, you know, have been, you know, are, are supposed to take care of it. And it's just, again, it, it's, he's not looking down on it. He's saying it's just an unhappy fact of life. And the poor man, in, in, in other words, it, it, it is to maybe be pitied. That's what Solomon's saying. But in countries where making money is raised to the status of an honorable duty, he tends to hang his head in shame, the poor man, or react in violence. So, who is, here's the thing, who is supposed to help the poor? Because Solomon tells us here that even the relatives of the poor man, notice in verse 7, he runs away. Notice it says in verse 7, All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go from him? They run away from him. They, 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 they stay away from them. And it says they pursue them, asking them for help. So how do we deal with the poor? Again, we as a people, and especially Christians, how we deal with the poor says a lot about us and our standing with God. Jesus was poor. He knew what it was to be poor. Jesus loved the poor. He taught the poor, and twice he fed them. He gave a helping hand to the poor. He wanted to lift them up. You know what? And he left them to us to take care of. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and that's to judge the nations, and when he comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you uh, hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When, would, when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, Isaiah said in Isaiah 58, 7, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? He says, when you see them, do you not meet that need? You know, if God's given you the ability to meet that need and not just hide from your own flesh, turn away and, and look away, and go away. The bottom line is, is that our, our yieldedness to God is measured by our yieldedness to man. You know, how much we do for our fellow man measures how much we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul, but he who keeps understanding will find good. Solomon knew how to get wisdom. Solomon, Solomon prayed to God for wisdom. And you know what? We can get it just like Solomon did. You know, and we're exhorted by, by James in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. He says, you know, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And ask him, that, that's prayer. He says, who gives to all liberally, liberally and without reproach, and, he will, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. Somewhere in God's word, God addresses every problem you and I will ever face. It's in his word. Somewhere from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible, we have a perfect source of wisdom in the word of God. The word of God, the Bible is worth more than all of the books and all of the libraries in all of the world. When we need wisdom, we can go to the Bible. Because, it's, you know, a lot of people, it's just a religious book. It's more than a religious book. It's a book of teachings, of proverbs, of parables, of principles, of science, of finance, of marriage, of raising families. It's all there. It's all there. And yet we go so many different places and so many different people to get advice. Man's advice. And when you follow man's advice... You're probably not going to get the, the, the results that you need. You know, we have some of the wisest, most intelligent, 
educated men in the world, women too. How's our world doing? Not very well. Why? God's left out. The wisdom of God, the infinite wisdom of God is left out of the decision-making process. So it's foolish to hope, you know, that, that, that we're going to be able to, to, you know, come to the perfect decision or the right decision when we leave God out. But if we give God a chance, He will point us to wise words. He'll point us to wise words that will sufficiently cover any situation that you go through. Now, it's, you know, and, I, and I, some people say, well, you know, I don't know where to read. You know, start from Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. And when you're through, start over again so that you will cover the whole Scripture. But it's foolish to hope that when you just open your Bible and you go like this, and you flip through and you go, okay, I'm going to read right here. That God's going to speak. He can, and he just might. But that's not the way we read the scriptures. To close our eyes and point out a verse, and magically it's going to tell me what I need to do. We have to read the Bible systematically. Like Isaiah said, remember precept upon precept, line upon line, a little here, a little there. You meditate on it, and you pray on it. We have to study the verses and also in their proper context. Don't read something and say, oh, this, this applies to me. Well, you need to read the context. Who is he speaking to? What's he speaking about? What was the culture? What was the time? Because it may not apply to you and me. We need to seek clear direction from God the Holy Spirit and obey what God shows me. The older we get, the wiser we think we are. And then we're tempted to do things and handle things on our own. And that's how a lot of people have ruined their lives during old age. The key to a good ending in life is just to keep on walking with God every single day through His Word. And those who finish well, those who finish well, keep on no matter what. Even when others are giving up. So get wisdom, keep understanding, and find good, and stay the course, and finish well. Verse 9. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. This is almost the same as verse 5, and that's because it's thought that it's probably repeated because of how serious it is to lie in court. Verse 10. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. Luxury is not fitting for a self-confident fool, Solomon says, much less for a slave to rule over princes. Because a slave is probably not qualified to lead, his, uh, to, to, to lead so his leadership position isn't fitting. Verse 11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Here's, here's one that's so important. They're all important, but this is one that, that we really need to look at and, and ask God, do I, do I need to apply this to my life? Patience is praised several times in Proverbs. And it stems from, from and it stems from, and it's, patience, it's a mark of wisdom. It's a mark of understanding. It's a mark of prudence compared to the man who is hot-headed and impatience. 
A prudent man, an impatient man or woman does not get upset easily by people who offend them. And in fact, they overlook the offenses because he knows that if he holds resentment or tries to get revenge, it's only going to lead to more problems, more trouble. Overlooking a transgression is his glory. In other words, it's honorable. It's the uncontrolled temper that, that, that is made obvious by their quick, uncontrolled anger. And it speaks of a man who's never learned in God's school of brokenness the required lesson of self-control. It's the self-important, high and mighty person who cannot look an injury done to them. But man, look at our Lord. Look at how much injury and insult was unto our Lord. And he, you know, he, he received it. He never retaliated. He turned it over to the one who, who, he said he committed himself who judged righteously, the Father. He turned it over to the Lord. And, he, and so, again, whenever a situation comes up, Jesus turned it over to the Lord, his Father. A man of sound judgment and discretion has learned to pass slightly over offenses and petty insults that would provoke the person who lacks wisdom to become extremely anger. And, and you know, we, we, can, we can experience this many times in different places. We're, we're out in the street, we're, you know, we're driving, and, and you know what, and we, you know, our, our natural reaction is we want to say something, we want to do something. And Solomon says, hey, overlook it. Don't make things worse than they are. Verse 12. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. The king's wrath, Solomon says, is as terrifying as the roaring of a lion. Especially in biblical times, because of a king, depending on the mood he was in, you know, he could, he could have you killed on the spot. He could do whatever he wanted. He was He was king. And so the king's wrath was as terrifying. You know, if a king got angry, it was as terrifying as the roaring of a lion. But it says his favor also is as refreshing as dew upon the grass. A king might be angered by some people, but at the same time, he might give favor. That is goodwill or pleasure to other people. The contrast here is as great as that of a menacing roaring of a lion and the refreshing dew. It comes down. Verse 13. A foolish son is the ruin of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. This is a, a, a hard situation. It's a sad situation. Again here in, in what Solomon is saying is he says, it is think of the poor husband who has a foolish son and an argumentative wife. And you can imagine what kind of home he lives in. And that's why it's such a blessing and it's so wonderful to find that woman that God has got for you, that he has for you. The right kind of a wife. A foolish son, it says here, it brings, he brings ruin. That is division. He brings you know, just destruction to his father. A foolish son is like an overwhelming catastrophe that just sucks a person into a deep pit. Fathers with foolish sons can tell you about the overwhelming misery that causes them depression and despair. 
And then Solomon also adds that a quarrelsome wife is a difficulty too. Now, again, it can be the same with a quarrelsome husband. It can be the same situation. But again, remember, Solomon had a thousand wives, so he had probably experienced a lot of this. Wasn't wise, and, and again, and, and, you know, he, he was keeping with the times. He could have a harem, so I guess he thought, I'm going to have a harem. So, uh, but again, this is the first of, and this is the first of five references in Proverbs that, Paul, that, that Solomon mentions the quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 27, 16 says, again, that, that uh, she's like a, a constant dripping as her quarreling continues nonstop. In other words, he's saying it's irritating. It's hard to stop. And again, it can be either spouse. But again, remember Solomon is speaking here particularly about, you know, what he has experienced. The word for quarrelsome here is used more often in Proverbs than in any other Old Testament book. It's also uh, translated dissension or disputes, strife. And again, he's talking about how unhappy that home has to be where he has, where, where there's both the foolish son and the contentious wife. You know, they're very, and they're very likely living together because where, they're, because where the man's wife disputes her, and I've seen this before, and, and when I was did a lot of marriage counseling, where, where the man's wife disputes the husband's authority in the home and takes sides with the children when he wants to discipline them, that effect will, will not have a, a good one on the family. And it happens often to see parents, unfortunately, arguing in front of their children. And then the children learn to ignore the father's authority and defy the mother's correction when she does try to correct them. And as a result, they grow with an unruly, rebellious spirit wanting to do their own thing, and they continue to refuse to submit to proper discipline. Verse 14. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now again, comparing verse 13, what Solomon just said with verse 14, you know, it's like, which house would you want to visit? A young man may inherit part of all of his parents' estate just because he's born into the family. But Solomon says, a prudent or intelligent wife is from the Lord. And remember, God is the one who joins together. And that's why it's so important that when, you know, when, when you're seeking a spouse, that you seek the Lord and you pray. And, and, and you look for, for, for those godly traits, you know, in, in that future spouse. And because God joins together, it's a, it's a till death do your relationship. And that's why God says, let no man put asunder what he has put together. And that's why the man of faith can safely trust God to give him a suitable life partner, the right help me. But you see, it's, it's when we're not willing to wait upon God. And we want to choose for ourselves, relying on our own, many times not so good judgment, and as I said earlier, we make bitter mistakes. They're made, and many times they're irreversible. Many times they're for life. I like what Henry Ironside said. He said, to marry in Christ is not necessarily to marry in the Lord. Any marriage between Christians would be in Christ. But only when the will is subject and the mind of God has been learned will marriage be in the Lord. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaac and Rebekah are a great example of that in Genesis 24. Warren Wiersbe said, not every marriage that's scriptural is necessarily sensible. Great wisdom there. Verse 15. 
laziness casts one into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. Notice that. Notice that I said earlier when there were many things stated about what causes poverty. Well, here it says laziness casts one into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. The words deep sleep here, sleep here refers to a heavy sleep, sometimes induced by God. Laziness can cause a problem or cause a person to be so inactive that he easily falls into a deep sleep. He's totally unaware of the valuable time that he's losing. An idle man, laziness, leading to hunger, is also seen in, in, in Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 6, verses 9 through 11. Verse 16. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. The word to keep here means to obey instructions. It's self persevere at self-preservation here to do the opposite is self-destructive also uh, we can see the word ruin his word is is god's word is a word of life it says here to be careless of his ways means to despise or disregard with contempt it means to despise or disregard god's word with contempt god's ways god's ways you know is you know, it is to preserve life. It's to help us to, to, to live life. But that one who, who forsakes God's ways, he's sealing his own fate and he's going to bring judgment down upon his own head. Verse 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, will pay back what he has given. We can never outgive God. And we have to be careful that we don't neglect giving to the poor. And God's eyes are always on the poor. He said, we'll have the poor with us always, as well as those who have enough to spare. And God knows when we can give, and he knows when we can't. And God, at times, will enable us to, to, to give you know, those who are in need. And who knows, maybe one day it'll be us who are in need. No being, all right, no being kind to the poor is condemned. Giving to the poor is like lending to the Lord, Solomon says here, because it's an investment that God is going to reward you for. God blesses people's generosity with his generosity. He's generous to us. Verse 18. Chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. Someone has said that this proverb is Solomon's cure for the disorder in a lot of today's family life. And many have rejected Solomon's wisdom and has substituted psychology and, 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 and other methods and were a lot, a lot worse off for it. The command to chasten here, your son, is to discipline. It's a strong warning against parents not taking the proper action. And a child that's, that's guilty of doing wrong, Solomon's saying they need to be disciplined. And early in the years where there's still hope for them. And to not discipline them, to disregard needed discipline, may contribute to the child's death. Now, what does he mean by that? Death refers either to capital punishment under the law or the danger of natural consequences because, again, of the child's foolish behavior in life, where he destroys himself. In Proverbs one thirty-two, it says, Death is often the fate of the poor. Oh, I'm sorry, of the fool. Uh, in, in Proverbs 10.27, it says, Many times death is, is the fate of the wicked. And then in, in uh, Proverbs 21, verse 25, death is the fate of the lazy. Verse 19. 
A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Solomon is saying here, the man who can't control his temper is always going to be in trouble. When he loses his temper, he loses control of himself. And we've spoken about this a couple of times. And many times he says things and does things he can't take back. You just don't know what the consequences might be when you lose your temper and you just let the words come out. Verse 20. Listen to counsel and receive instruction. Notice that you may be wise in your latter days. Here Solomon urges us to be teachable. To listen to good counsel and to accept instruction. Because it will make a person wise. Now the phrase there in your latter days, there in verse 20, it could mean the end of one's life or to some time after the instruction is given. Verse 21. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. In other words, man's plans come to nothing in the end. God always has the last word. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't make plans because we are encouraged to make plans. We should make plans. We should have plans. But understand, God can sovereignly overrule them and accomplish His purpose, you know, through what would seemingly, you know, be plans of our own. God is the only one who can give you and I the right kind of advice. Verse 22. What is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. Loyalty. Solomon says, loyalty, unfailing love is a quality people want in others. But lying, it's a sign of the absence of loyalty. And it's also terrible that being uh, poor is preferred. Verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Non-Christians have all kinds of different thoughts and feelings about God. We know that. We've heard them. Ignorance of God, denial of God, hatred of God, terror of God. Those who know God, they have a healthy fear. The word fear means reverence. They have a, a healthy reverence, a healthy respect of God. It's a fear that's moved by a warm love for Him. We don't love Him because we're afraid of Him. We love Him because we reverence Him. And once the reverence of the Lord, once that fear of the Lord is established in our hearts, everything leads to life because we reverence him, because we respect him. Verse 24. Here it is. Look at, a lazy man, this is, this is sad. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth. The picture that Solomon is giving us here in his day, all right, again, again, the, the culture, the, that, the time of Solomon in Solomon's day, the picture he's giving is where guests would recline at a table when they were eating. And they would help themselves from a dish that everybody shared. So there would be a dish in the middle of the table and everybody would dig in with their bread and they'd, they'd, they'd feed themselves. And that's the picture that Solomon is doing here. Sometimes the host, all right, sometimes the host, he would take a bread and he would dip a piece of bread into the dish. He'd scoop it up from the dish and he'd hand it to his guests, which was a sign of honor. Now, he says, but among other guests, 
here, there's a man that's too lazy to take from the dish and put it in his mouth. Instead, he just sits there with his mouth open like a baby bird implying that the host should put it in his mouth. It is, it, I mean, it's a funny picture. It's a sad picture, but it's a picture of gross laziness. I mean, a person who refuses to, even, to, to, to do even the smallest thing, the most necessary thing for their life and for their own good is asking to be ridiculed and disliked. And again, Solomon talks a lot in Proverbs about laziness. Laziness is a bad habit, and it gets worse as time goes by. Verse 25. Strike a, a scoffer, and the simple will become weary. Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. The principle here is that of making a public example of a particular person or group of people in order to send a warning to others. Verse 26. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Solomon is speaking about a grown son here who robs his father or assaults or mistreats him and drives his mother off of their property, brings shame and disgrace to himself and to his people. To disregard your parents' instruction, that's bad enough. But to abuse them physically or to curse them, Solomon says that's despicable. Verse 27. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. When a person stops listening to instruction, he's not learning anymore. Because, because being wise, it's not an inactive condition. It's not a passive condition. Verse 28. A disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Now, in the, old King, in, in the King James Version, the word disreputable is ungodly. A disreputable or ungodly witness deliberately distorts and mocks justice. Now, the word ungodly in the, in the King James Version is literally belial, worthless, and wicked. A false witness associates with the wicked who drink up evil. That is, they pursue sin with a ravenous appetite. In other words, that's all they want to do. They just want to sin. They just want to go out and do evil things. Verse 29, as we close. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools. Judgment is coming. God is not soft. He, he, he's not lightweight when it comes to those who are guilty like many of our court systems today judge a god judges again the guilty again according to the work they're going to get what what they deserve the pleasures of sin do not last they last for a season but the wages of sin and they last forever and they will last for all eternity unless one has repented of his sins and ask for God's forgiveness of their sin. Judgment. You know, judgment is, is often received in this life, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the punishment of God is delayed until the life to come, until, he, you know, uh, until we die, and then we stand before him. We read in Ecclesiastes 8.11, Solomon said, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, that is because, you know, a person is not judged right away because of the evil that they do. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Again, you know, I, I've seen people say, well, you know, if God is real and he's really going to judge me, why doesn't he strike me dead right now? You know, and, and 
when they adopt that attitude because God doesn't bring judgment on them right away, their heart now is fully set on doing more evil. But what they don't understand, do you think that that, that kind of a, a, a um, enticement to God to strike me dead now, be if you're a few for real, does he think he could wear out the patience of God with saying something so silly as that? You know, he's experiencing the grace of God and doesn't even know it because we all deserve to be toast but God is wanting us he said he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and Solomon uh, in Solomon uh, Psalm 75 2 the psalmist said this <clears throat> God says <clears throat> when I choose the proper time I will judge uprightly and we can be thankful for that God says I'm going to judge and I'm going to do it in the proper time and I'm going to be fair and square about it <clears throat> You won't be able to argue because I know all things. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. (coughs) Excuse me. We do thank you that you are patient, God. And Lord, none of us would be here if you dealt with our sins on the spot. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your tenderness. Thank you for your kindness, God. Father, we thank you for our salvation, Lord. And Father, we pray that we would just continue to walk with you, God, to obey the command to to learn, to seek wisdom. Father, to learn the scriptures. They get the advice that you give us, Lord. And to follow your ways and not our ways, God. To seek you and not ourselves, God. That our confidence would be in you and not ourselves, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for being a wonderful God. Lord, may you bless your people now as they go their way. May you protect them from harm and evil, Lord, and disease. May you get them to their destination safely, Lord. And Father, may just pray that, uh, God, we will be able to meet next week, Lord willing, that God will just all gather together again and uh, to just uh, continue on in your word, Lord. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome.